Good morning. I'd be curious to hear where the two scripture readings took you in your mind this morning. C.S. Lewis wrote that Psalm 19 is the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. This psalm, written by King David around 1000 BC, combines beautiful poetry with profound theology. The opening verses of the psalm in particular have inspired gorgeous musical trans compositions from Bach's cantata, Die Himmel erzählen die Ehre Gottes, The Heavens Are Telling the Glory of God, to Haydn, Beethoven, and Camille Cesson. We understand it as a praise of God's creation or as a hymn to the Creator. This praise took me back to the wonderful Celtic Worship Sunday that culminated in a well-attended Kaili in our sanctuary. It's hard to believe that that particular Sunday took place one year and one week ago. One year ago today, we gathered together for what would be our last communal worship on Onward Avenue that year. Then the unimaginable happened the novel coronavirus, the unexpected disruptor of huge magnitude. Our calendars were wiped clean, blank. Chaos ensued. The world as we knew it was suddenly halted and disrupted. Many of us initially unaware how quickly we were hurtling toward the unknown, rattling and shaking in unsettling ways. It was a life quake that topped the Richter scale. The aftershocks continue, even now. We see and feel them as consequences that the actions taken during the pandemic have caused, highlighted, or amplified, especially in areas where inequalities and injustices reigned before. I suspect these aftershocks will persist for a long time. While the world around us, as we knew it, continued to dissolve, how many of us tried to convince ourselves that we might be able to remain intact and in place, regardless of what was happening within and around us? Some of us would worry, lose sleep, forget to take care of ourselves. We would listen to anxiety-provoking news, scrolling on our electronic devices, even though we wanted to stop. We would wish to escape and sometimes find ways to do so. We were, and perhaps still are confused, sometimes sad, sometimes terrified and tired. Initially, if you recall, we insisted on the language of pause, lives put on hold. In the beginning, we treated the pandemic as a suspended time, hoping we could hold our breath and wait for things to resume, to return to normal. Now, with the vaccine campaign underway, we hear the calls for a fast return to normal even more strongly. And yet, I wonder if we might not consider a different approach. 
The great scholar and historian of religion, Mircea Eliad, writes, the symbolic return to chaos is indispensable to any new creation. Or, perhaps as we heard in the hymn earlier, God's gonna trouble the water. What if we are invited to enter into this chaos, individually and collectively, so new, emerge, new creation can emerge? Worship Committee has asked us to reflect on Lent differently this year. Rather than diminishing a candle each week, we will actually light a candle. Instead of focusing on what we might give up during this time, we shift to contemplating the aspects of spiritual renewal from a different angle. Perhaps another metaphor might be appropriate that of shape-shifting. The pandemic has beckoned us to shape-shift through this chaos and uncertainty, to reconfigure ourselves in some fashion. Each one of us entered the pandemic in a particular shape. What shape would you choose to describe yourself? This last year has provided us ample opportunities to examine this shape, to evaluate it, and to reconstruct it. As we continue through Lent, spring, and beyond, our shapes may continue to shift. Just take our congregation as an example. What shape would best describe us in March last year? And how would you describe the shape of our congregation now? And what about by the time we meet again in person? And the same holds true for each one of us. What shape are you shifting into? When I can allow myself to sit in the uncertainty of my situation, of my life, the darkness it brings, the darkness itself becomes much more detailed and recognizable. I can sit with my grief around what I have lost. I allow it to come out and sniff around like a companion that's never shooed away. I can begin to take inventory of what I have lost and how these losses have changed me. The Quaker and educator Parker Palmer talks about two types of broken hearts. One that breaks into a thousand shards and explodes like a fragment grenade that often gets hurled at the ostensible source of the pain as it explodes. The other one is the heart that breaks open into largeness, which then leads us to become a bigger and better person. So, how can my heart break open in chaos and not explode? Parker Parma suggests we experience, especially in times of confusion and chaos, all kinds of little and large deaths, such as the deaths of rituals, connections, friendships, feelings, touch, or even hope. He goes on to say, instead of yielding to the cultural temptation to try to pretend that this little death isn't happening, 
or to anesthetize ourselves against it with some drug of choice, whether that be a substance, work, noise, or entertainment. Let's choose to embrace those little deaths and experience them as fully as we can in a way that exercises the heart muscle and keeps it supple. I tend to liken the chaos and liminal space that follows a major disruption, an ending, to winter. It's sometimes messy, gray, and ugly. It might be beautiful and brilliant, and the days might seem too short, while the darkness might seem too long. And yet, the freeze and thaw cycle, this period of enforced rest in nature, is absolutely necessary for new growth and beauty to surface in spring. We begin to see what has emerged then, what new blossoms are peeking through the ground, perhaps tentative, perhaps tender, yet tangible and visible, unlike now. In this time of slowdown and darkness, we can sift through the rubble of the aftershocks to evaluate the priorities of our lives, our commitments, and our relationships. Relationships with ourselves and others. Where has trust been broken and relationships frayed? Where has trust been strengthened and relationships transformed? Here is what the writer Suleika Khawu tells us in her new memoir, Between Two Kingdoms, a memoir of a life interrupted. And I quote, there is no atlas charting that lonely moonless stretch of highway between where you start and who you become, end of quote. She's pointing us back to the notion that we are undergoing shape-shifting. I have heard from my clients, as well as from many of the hospice volunteers with whom I work, just that. Instead of fighting against the uncertainties and the seeming darkness, they have lit a candle, so it seems. Instead of getting stuck in their anxieties and worries, or instead of numbing themselves or seeking escape, they have befriended this chaos, the uncertainties, by facing them, by turning them into something useful. No longer turning away from change, they have become attentive to the fluctuations within the chaos, to the nuances. They have opted to slow down. They are doing their best to find the courage to marinate in unanswered questions. I'm reminded of Rainer Maria Rilke, who writes in the letters to a young poet, try to love the questions themselves like locked rooms and like books written in a foreign language. At present, you need to live the question. I'm wondering if the temple story we heard in John 2, 13 through 22 could be seen as an illustration of an enormous disruptor, granted of quite a different nature. Jesus suddenly disrupts temple life. Jesus flips over tables. He brings chaos into everyday life. 
He upends the life people know. He demands action. He urges us to change, to participate in change and preparations for a new reality which would be arriving with his death and resurrection. While people demanded a sign they could understand in this chaos, they failed to realize that the sign Jesus himself was right in front of them. They were too caught up in their own lives and habits to see the power of God at work, which I choose to understand as healing and hope, love and grace. What signs are right in front of us right now, I wonder, that lead to a new creation? Which brings me back to Psalm 19, the second and third sections of the psalm. The middle verses describe the perfect, clear, and true actions of God that make a relationship with God more desirable than gold or wealth or sweet honey. Do you know that part of verse 9 is inscribed on the Lincoln Memorial in Washington? The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. All so clear and to the point. Absolutely no chaos there. In the final four verses, though, the psalmist ends with a plea to God to cleanse, protect, strengthen, and redeem the speaker. The psalmist understands, I believe, that our faith requires an active relationship with God, where we are constantly invited to reflect and reshape ourselves, to keep our hearts supple so we can become a better person to repeat Parker Palmer's words. To use our suffering and transform it into a source of blessing. So, maybe the light we ignite in this time of chaos and darkness can help us remember how vulnerable we are at any time and how much more we feel and experience these vulnerabilities when life gets disrupted and we are thrown into chaos. And maybe the light can help us illuminate this vulnerability, especially when we have found good relationships with ourselves and with others. This then safe community allows us the space, time and opportunity to act towards a new creation with supple hearts, compassion, courage and integrity on what emerges from our immersion in this chaos. And maybe this light will help us appreciate this creative, sometimes painful, yet powerful process of shape-shifting. Amen. <laughs>